Uh, let's take our Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. If you've been saved and in church any length of time, you're probably very familiar with this verse. And uh, I, I have used this verse in sermons, I don't know how many times, but to my recollection, I have not actually preached a sermon on this text, unless it was maybe a um, Christmas time devotional or something to that effect. But as far as a Sunday morning uh, service sermon, I don't know that this has strictly been my text. And I just want to say it's a joy to be able to preach out of this text here this morning. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Aren't you looking forward to the day when the government is on his shoulder instead of on the shoulders of the people that's on today? I'm really, really looking forward to that. Not all shoulders are the same, by the way. I wish we had some stronger shoulders to bear the burden, but, you know, it is what it is. And when it's all said and done, whatever shoulders have borne the burden of government in this day and age, one of these days it's going to rest upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to be perfect. Absolutely perfect. We should be definitely looking forward to that day. And then the the text goes on to say, And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so those five names I want to preach about here this morning, our title is Prophetic Adjectives of the Name of Christ. Now, is that an old school title for a sermon or what? I was thinking about that. It's like, wow, that is an old school title. We need more old school sermons today. Amen? You know, it seems like the, the, the popular thing to do is to have a title. It's always got to be clever or catchy or something like that. I personally, I like a title that tells me what the message is going to be about. Amen? So that's an old school title, but I promise you that that's what I'm going to talk about here today is the prophetic adjectives of the name of Christ. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together today. Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, this congregation today. Uh, Lord, folks that have taken time out of their life here on a Sunday, beautiful day outside. There's many, many other things that they could be doing, but they made a choice to be in church today. Lord, they didn't come to hear my words, they came to hear your words, and Father, I pray that no one would be disappointed. Help me to faithfully preach this text. Uh, What a joy to be able to speak about these adjectives that describe your precious name. And Lord, I know and I confess that, um, Lord, I'm inadequate to to do a good job of this particular uh, topic today. And so we're asking for the help of the Holy Spirit asking you to help and guide our thoughts and our words and our spirit and demeanor and expressions that everything that's said from this pulpit today would draw our hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. So an adjective is a word used to describe the attributes or the quality of the noun it is attached to. Notice here the wording of our text. It says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, etc. The truth is, folks, that Jesus was not a man of admiration and reputation. He cared about people, but He didn't care what people thought about Him. He wasn't going about trying to win a popularity contest. In fact, when they wanted to make him king after they saw the miracles that he performed, in John 2.25, Jesus said he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew man's motives. And you know, so much of popular Christianity and the glorious things that we relate to church and preachers and singers and so forth, uh, so much of it... Really, if you boil down the motives, it all comes down to a lot of things that are really just flesh. The Bible says he made himself of no reputation. 
I wonder what Jesus thinks of the many preachers today that are continually marketing themselves and their ministries. I'm just going to say we're on live stream for anybody, any other preacher that hears this. Uh, all of these preachers that have to have a little selfie while they're driving down the road, have to get a little attention for every visit that they make. I mean, they're constantly having a Facebook post that really, no matter what they're saying, it's look at me and how wonderful that I am. Let me just say, I don't think that Jesus really appreciates it. And as a man, I just have to say that most of it makes me want to vomit. But I know that that's not very nice to say. But it is true, because it really does make me feel that way. You know, Jesus never tried to be popular. He never tried to impress anyone. And, And there's so much about him that the world doesn't understand. The adjectives of his name we just read about are much different than the adjectives used to describe his person. In fact, while he was on this earth, he was called Beelzebub. They referred to him as a sinner. They called him a Galilean. You say, oh, wait a minute, that's where he was from. Well, you need to understand that being called a Galilean in the geographical location when they called him that, most of it was the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And rest assured, being called a Galilean was not a compliment. I mean... (laughs) And I'm not going to tell any because you can't tell any jokes about anybody these days. But everybody knows that there are states within our union that are rival states. And everywhere that I've lived, there's always these jokes about teeth and sheep and all kinds of degrading things about... You know, I'll give you an example. People will say, well, if you're from such and such state and you get a divorce, are you still brother and sister? Now, I didn't say which state. I mean, everywhere that I've lived, there's a neighboring state that they say that. Well, in the region of Israel during Christ's day, that's basically what they thought of the Galileans. They even accused him of being demon-possessed. Thou hast a devil, they would say. And so his rep, the reputation of his person was nothing like what we see is prophesied about what his name shall be called. Why do the adjectives of his name surpass the adjectives of his person while he ministered on this earth? I think I know the answer to it. It's because he always spoke the truth. And you know, the truth is not what everybody wants to hear. Everybody says that they want the truth, but when the truth is presented and it goes contrary to what they wanted to hear, often the end result is resentment and conflict and even hatred and bitterness. Jesus always told the truth no matter what. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't trying to gain favor. He did not care whether people admired him or loved him. He looked beyond people, people who he loved, and he looked at his heavenly Father, and all he singularly cared about was, do my words please my heavenly Father. If we were to be Christ-like today, then we need more of that in our character and less of what we see in Christianity today. People say, well, I want to be Christian, but I don't want people to think that I'm weird. You know what? Most of you, if you just look in the mirror, they're going to think you're weird anyways. And maybe maybe we are weird. But you know what? I would rather be weird in the eyes of the world and be popular in heaven than to to have anything that's just the opposite. And you know, those of you that are teenagers and young people, you, you, you want acceptance and you want to fit in so much. And you will do some really crazy things that you know are not 
healthy, that are not that are harmful, that are going to cause you problems, and you will do those things for just a little bit of acceptance. How many people's lives have been wrecked at a young age just because they wanted to fit in? Satan loves that idea, that notion that we need to fit in and we need to be accepted by this world. You know, Solomon, aside from Christ, the wisest man that ever lived, he said in Ecclesiastes chapter number 9 and verse number 14, he said, there was a little city and a few men within it. There came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. You know, you're looking at a preacher that really I, I am not impressed at celebrity Christianity. You know, somebody's a celebrity and they profess to be saved, all of a sudden now they're, they're like more important than somebody that is a nobody. And God never looks at it that way. And we should never look at things that way. Sometimes we put more... Why do you think that the celebrities of today are all peddling their agenda? Why do you think that the liberal celebrities are peddling their opinions? Because they know that because of their celebrity status, that they have great power and influence over the masses. You know, what does that say about the American public, the American people? It says that we've become a nation of fools, of suckers, if you will. I mean, we are so used to being marketed, and we're so used to being lied to that it doesn't even shock us. You know, we could say, well, I expect to be lied to, but the bottom line is, is... If a company markets something and they tell us what we want to hear, I mean, listen, if, if you've got some facial hair that you're wanting to get rid of, and there's a product that says that it'll get rid of that facial hair, you'll spend, you'll spend $19.95 and you'll even get a free one. And then when the item shows up, you think, this is a piece of junk. This is a modified toothbrush. Or, or, or it works the first time, but then the second time, forget it. It's already wore out. People are suckers if they hear what they want to hear. And so we're talking today about the prophetic names of Christ, the things that His name shall be called. I don't find where Jesus was called any of these things while he ministered here on this earth. And you know what? I am glad that we can call his name these attributes, these adjectives. But throughout the world, very frequently, he is not called these things. And so let's take them one at a time. Number one, I want to talk about his name shall be called Wonderful. Different cultures and generations have popular adjectives that exclaim the ultimate. I mean, some of you remember, and forgive me for being a little out of touch with modern culture. Some of it is by design. But I'm sure that some of you remember people saying, oh, he's a real hunk. Or she's a babe. And I'm sure that they have some things now that are popular that describe the ultimate that I probably couldn't even repeat. I'm sure that some of you remember uh, Wally on Leave it to Beaver talking about things being spiffy. And then who can forget the 60s and 70s where things were groovy. And then... Then, I don't know how many years ago, it's got to be maybe 15, 20 years ago by now, then came everything, doesn't matter what it is, we could be talking about a candy bar, a favorite sports team, we could talk about anything, and everything was awesome. And then it started to shift. All of a sudden now, 
things weren't awesome, they were bad. That's really bad. When that started coming out, I'm like, what? I, I thought it was pretty good. No, no, that's bad. Well, you don't understand. Bad means good. Oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> and, and then people started saying, that's sick. And I go, really? Oh, no, does it need some medicine? No, it's sick. Sick means awesome. Then came along, that's totally wicked. Crazy stuff, right? Now, as I was thinking about this adjective, I can't help, my wife will appreciate this. My my mom, when she was alive, she loved my wife's chicken and dumplings. And so um, whenever we would be visiting, my wife would always make sure that she made dumplings for my mom. So we'd be sitting at the table and I'd go, hey mom, how's the dumplings? She'd say, they're wonderful. I think we understand. In fact, you know the word awesome doesn't appear in the scripture, but I think when we think about the adjective that describes the ultimate, I would have to say wonderful is certainly uh, on that list. What does the word wonderful mean? It simply means full of wonder. It carries the idea of something that is jaw-dropping, that leaves you speechless. If we look at the law of first mention in the Bible, you might be surprised. We talk about dumplings being wonderful. We talk about our spouse being wonderful. I hope you do. We talk about it often in a positive note, but the first mention in the Bible, interestingly enough, is Deuteronomy 28.59, where the Bible says, Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. That's not a positive, that's a negative. But the adjective denotes something that is jaw-dropping, overwhelming, leaves one speechless. His name, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, is called wonderful. Why? Because we cannot adequately explain it or represent it with the human tongue. We try, but we fall so miserably short. Psalm 139, verse number 6, the psalmist said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I have to confess to you from the depths of my heart today to talk about Jesus being wonderful. I feel so inept, so inadequate. I don't have the words to describe. All I know is that uh, that com- in comparison to my wife's dumplings, Jesus being wonderful would be like comparing her dumplings to fruitcake. It's just no comparison. Jesus, His name shall be called wonderful. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name doesn't matter what they thought of him when he was here ministering on this earth. It doesn't matter about the false accusations. It doesn't matter what Pilate, Herod, and Caiaphas, and all of those Jews. It doesn't matter what Nicodemus thought of him. Jesus asked Peter, what do men, who do men say that I am? And he said, well, some John the Baptist, some Elias, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you know, in Jesus' mind, He didn't even care what Peter thought of Him. He only cared about who He was and what God thought of Him. He was loyal to the truth of God, and He wasn't worried about what any man thought. And because of that, I can proudly proclaim today His name is called wonderful. He is a wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to the second adjective. It says in our text that His name shall be called Counselor. The term Counselor, the word used today, typically we think about the person who listens to my problems and gives me advice on how to fix them. 
hence a counselor. Sounds like such a great thing, doesn't it? And yet I must say, as a pastor, counseling, whenever I think about the word counseling, I start to get a twitch. You say, why? What's wrong? Listen, I, I counseling is very fulfilling to a pastor. But I guarantee you, almost every pastor that you would talk to, if you talk to them, what do you think about counseling? They would probably, their mind would race back and, you know, nobody probably keeps score. But the truth of the matter is, most counseling um, memories are not exactly positive. I remember what Brother Runyon taught me in Bible school. And uh, he said... Uh, we said, what, what, what do you think about counseling, Brother Runyon? And you know what his advice was? Don't do it. <laughs> and he said it in such a tone, it's like, run! <laughs> now, now, why would a caring pastor feel that way about counseling? Well, it might be an overstatement to say that counseling doesn't work. Listen, many people have been helped by godly counsel. But I must say that I have wasted countless hours trying to help people that didn't really want help. I've made many enemies trying to help people that came to me for help. Assuming that they wanted an answer to their problem. They wanted to fix the root of the problem, but often what people do by the time that they are desperate enough to come to the pastor with their problem... And, and by the way, that's not the time to go to your pastor or your parent when your problem is desperate. If you do that, you know what your problem is? You're proud. It is hard for, especially men, but it's hard for every person to admit when they need help. And you know what? God has provided us a family. The, the, the church is, is a family and there are so many resources. You look about and you see godly, faithful Christians, and we're afraid to ask. You know how many times that I've heard people say this, well, I just didn't want to burden you, Pastor, and I want to grab them by the neck and choke them. <laughs> it's what God called me to do. I mean, that's like, that's like going, you know, you, you, got a, you got a growth out your side, the size of a football. And, and, you know, it hasn't always been that big. It started the size of a golf ball. And you wait till it's the size of a football and you go to your doctor and you say, well, I just didn't want to burden you. The doctor is just like, well, I can't help you now. It's a football. I got to remove half your body to get the, the, the football out. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's like this doctor saying, you know how much time and money of my life that I invested to be a doctor so that I could help people and you were afraid to burden me? Crazy, Amen. But the problem is, is people wait too long until the whole thing is just so unraveled that it just seems like that if Jesus were alive, he wouldn't know how to put it all back together. And sometimes people only want the symptoms fixed, fix my problems, but they don't want to take responsibility that maybe the problems are because I need to change something. No, pastor, I don't, I don't want you to fix me. I want you to fix my problems. And so consequently, pastors sometimes end up with some of the biggest enemies of a pastor are the people that they spent the most time trying to help. And so it, it's really sad. I can understand why Brother Runyon would feel that way. Now, as I've gotten older and wiser, I've learned a little. Some people just need a listening ear and a caring heart. And, and I figured out that, you know, it's not a pastor's job to fix anybody. Only the Holy Spirit and God can fix your problems. A pastor can lead you in the right direction. He can provide support and comfort. And sometimes that's all that people want. They don't want advice. They don't need advice. They just need to know that, hey, somebody that they respect cares about them and it's going to help them bear their problem. The person that is able to fix their problem usually will figure it out in time on their own. The person who can't fix it 
Well, you give them advice, they're only going to feel worse when you pile on your diagnosis and your potential cure. And so there's a lot of things about counseling that, to be quite honest with you, you don't learn until you get some age and experience. I look back at the early years of my ministry. In fact, not long ago, I was going through some of my files that I that I brought with me when we moved here. And I'm going through all of these files and notes from people that I dealt with. And, you know, many of them, it's like, I don't even remember this person. But I wrote a note as what their problem was. And I always tried to keep track of what I told people. Because, you know, if you deal with a lot of people, you, you lose sight of that. So I'm going through all of this stuff. And I think, you know, nine, 90% of this was a waste of time for them and me. And then every now and then I'd come across a note and I'd remember somebody and I'd just think, oh, Lord, I can't believe that that's the advice that I gave them. I was so shallow. I was so, you know, (laughs) I remember early on in my ministry, well, doesn't matter what your problem was. The answer was just read your Bible and pray more. (laughs) I will say this. That's a good place to start. But you know what? In the same way, and and let me say this, the vast majority of pastoral counseling takes place from this pulpit right here. I learned after much wasted time that somebody that comes in and is willing to spend an hour in my office on Tuesday, I've yet to find anyone that I've actually helped that is not interested in spending an hour in church on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday and an hour on Sunday night to be in church whenever the doors are open. And you know what? That's what most people's problems are. Most of the people's problems is that they don't keep themselves in church where they hear the Word of God preach. You know, people who show up one service a week or one service every now and then, I, you know, and, and you got your life in order and you're on fire for God and your marriage is in order, your kids are doing well. By the way, I don't know of any of those situations, but I know people that think that they're okay. I'd have to say you're a way better Christian than me because I need more preaching and teaching and fellowship. You ever notice during this last year with COVID how important Christian fellowship is? Boy, that, that just was so profound to me how that my spiritual temperature is not just from listening to a sermon, because you can listen to sermons all the time. There's something about that accountability and that camaraderie that comes from gathering together, that assembling. It's, it's very powerful and it's very important. So the majority of pastoral counseling happens behind the pulpit. Likewise, Jesus is our counselor. And you know what? We can get an appointment with him anytime. Watch this. I got an appointment with Jesus. I just opened the Bible and I'm reading his wisdom and his counsel. He knows all about me. We have the Bible We have prayer. We can talk to Him and tell Him what our burdens are. And by the way, you will find that it is a whole lot easier to be transparent with the Lord than it is a pastor or a parent or a friend. I mean, you can actually tell them what you really think and not care whether it makes you look. You might as well be transparent not try to look good with Him because He knows it already. You might as well just be open. Lord, I stink. (laughs) I'm glad that Jesus is our counselor, that we can always get an appointment with him. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Thank God that Jesus, his name shall be called counselor. Psalm 33 verse number 11 says, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. 
And you know, the Lord also said in Psalm 106, verse number 13, regarding Israel, He said, they soon forgot His works, they waited not for His counsel. I'm telling you what, we can ask the Lord for counsel, but just like James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, only let him ask in faith. If you go to God, you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your advice. Don't ask him for advice, and then if you don't hear from him within a few hours, go and do what you are going to do anyways. That's not asking in faith, and the Lord says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Number three, his name shall be called the mighty God. Now these next two are closely related. They have to do with the deity of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with that term, the deity of Christ is the Bible truth, the Bible doctrine that says Jesus is God. He always has been God. In eternity past, He is God. In His time on earth, in the body of a man, born of a virgin, He is God. For eternity future, Jesus is God. And our third point is His name shall be called the Mighty God. Notice that the word mighty in our text is not capitalized. That's because it is an adjective of the adjective. He's being called Mighty God, but the term mighty is not necessarily a title in this text. It is simply an adjective saying that Jesus is God and He is mighty. The mighty God speaks of the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, when people dishonor the creation, they are dishonoring Jesus Christ. You know, there are people who profess, you take a lot of different so-called Christian religions that deny the Genesis account of creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you know who that God is? That's Jesus Christ. And so many will say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in a literal creation. Well, then you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible is the mighty God. In fact, it says in John chapter 1, verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Listen, if you believe in the Trinity, then you got your Bible figured out correctly. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. We're not talking about three deities. We're not talking about a plurality like the Muslims falsely accuse the Trinitarian of. It is one God in three persons. See, well, that doesn't make sense. Really. You ever, you ever talk to yourself before? I, I do all this, you know, when I make a mistake, you know what I do? I go, Mitchell, you're an idiot. That's what I say. And, and you know what's going on right there is you have, you have my spirit or my soul talking to my spirit or vice versa. I don't know. I'm not that deep of a thinker. But we are a body and a soul and a spirit. We are a trichotomy. God made us in His image. Let us make man in our image. God is a trinity and He made us with a body, soul, and a spirit. When we get, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But as far as how the Father looks, you're not going to see two different persons there in heaven. Jesus is the express image of the Father. Not three gods, one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I can't figure that out, preacher. Well, that's why God is so mighty. 
He's so far above us. And when you come across something in the Bible that you can't completely rationally understand, just believe it anyways. And recognize that, you know what? I can't wrap my mind around this. You ever thought about eternity past? Everything in our reference point in life has a beginning and an end. God has no beginning. Where was He? Where, where did He, you know, you ever thought about, you know, we have this universe and this life that we live. How many times has something like this ever happened? We have no idea. How many more times is it going to, we don't know. This, this could be unique. The creation of man. This could be totally unique. All we know is that God has existed for all of eternity. He always has been. He is. Everything's always present tense to Him. I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. You ever tried to figure out what nothing is? Uh, I'm, I'm describing nothing. It's just black. Wait a minute. Black something. We are limited because we're not God. Jesus is, and His name shall be called the Mighty God. Number four, His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. Once again, everlasting is not capitalized. We're not referring to a title here. We're referring to a description of Jesus being um, being God the Father. The everlasting Father speaks of His eternality. I don't know if that's a right word, but I think you know what I mean. He's eternal. And our relationship with Him. It's one thing to look at God the Creator. That can be very impersonal. I mean, you look at God spoke this whole world into existence. He is our judge. We're going to stand before Him at the great white throne. And it's going to be such an... I mean, that, you can use the word awesome to describe that. It's going to be so awesome that the heaven and the earth is going to flee away. And when God's sitting at that great white throne of judgment, I guarantee you anybody that doesn't have to be there is not going to want to be there. But every human being is going to be present at that great white throne of judgment. Not every human being is going to be judged at that great white throne of judgment. And you know why that is? Because if you're saved, your sins were judged at Calvary. But if you're not saved, you're going to give an account for your own sins at that great white throne of judgment. And uh, I would not want to be in your... You, you need to get saved before it's eternally too late. You need to let Jesus pay for your sins because if you have to pay for them, that great white throne of judgment, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be jaw-dropping. You're going to be speechless before a holy God who, who has x-ray vision into your entire life. And He sees it and He knows it. And... So many at that great white throne of judgment, God's going to say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. That is an awesome thing. John 14, verse number 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus is making it clear that He and God the Father are one. Now, I had a good Father who provided and protected. I have no complaints about my earthly Father's protection and provision. He worked hard to take care of me and my sisters and my mom. I never worried about going hungry. I never worried about the bad guy breaking in. I knew that dad was strong and dad was going to take care of us. He was a good father, but he died. At some point in my life, he was not there to provide that security. When you think about our relationship with Jesus, 
who shall be called the Everlasting Father. Thank God we never have to worry about the quality of our Heavenly Father, and we never have to worry about the future of our Heavenly Father. He is everlasting, and He does not change. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As believers, folks, we have, we have so much security in our life. I don't know, I don't know why the whole world doesn't come flocking to church today, begging to be a Christian, knowing what we have as a privilege. We take it for granted, the security that our everlasting Father has provided us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last one, number five. The Bible says here that His name shall be called the Prince of Peace. This particular adjective, you notice that it's all capitalized. It is a title. He is the Prince of Peace. Not just an adjective, but also a title. And when you think about this, uh, if you think about what a prince is, a prince is not a king. He's someone that is one day going to be a king. You know, Jesus came to this earth. Yes, he is a king, but he is not functioning yet as a king. He is the prince of peace. Christ came to give us peace. Probably the most important thing that I would say to that statement is that Christ came to give us peace with God. And the subject of peace means nothing until you and I have peace with God. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. I'm not an enemy of God. Well, if you're not saved, you are. That's what most people don't understand. They say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Well, what about your enmity with God? What about the sins that you've committed? What about breaking His commandments? You broke one commandment. You became an enemy of God. God's holy. God doesn't grade things on a scale like that you and I do. He don't say, well, that's a really good person and that's a fairly good person. This guy, you know, he's got some good things, some bad things, and this guy, this guy's a piece of work. That's the way we view people. And most of it has to do, how many people have lived wicked lives, but at their funeral, they talk about what a good person that that person was. Why? Because he might have been wicked to everybody else, but he was good to me. And so people think, well, this person was good to me, so they must be in heaven today. Do you realize how evil that value system is? And how self-centered you are making yourself a God by even thinking that. The issue of a person's eternal destiny has to do with have they made peace with their enmity against a holy God? Have their sins been paid for? Have they been atoned for and taken care of? Jesus died on the cross and shed His precious blood so that you and I can have peace with God. In God's courtroom, He's not going to do what most people think and weigh all of our goodness and all of our badness, and if the scale is more good than bad, He's going to let us into heaven. Listen, when you die and when you stand before God, you're not going to meet St. Peter at the pearly gates with an interest exam. All of that is make-believe. It's fantasy. It's fabricated. The truth of the matter is, is when, if God's going to let you into heaven, He's got to look at you and see the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. You have to look perfect, completely holy. He cannot see a single sin upon us. And the only thing that can make us righteous before a holy God is when we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's an exchange. Jesus, when He hung on the cross, the Bible says that He bore in His body on that tree our sins. He literally became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. If you don't have that 
exchange, if you haven't went to God as a sinner and said, I want to give all of my sins to Jesus, and I mean all of them. I'm not talking about, well, I, I, I need Jesus to help me with my sins. To help me over. You can't hang, you can't hang on to your own goodness with one hand and just think that Jesus is a helper. No, you gotta come to the point, it's like, I'm helpless, Lord. I'm sinking. I am, I am, I am wicked. I'm evil. My heart is wicked. I got nothing good about me. And when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe what you did on the cross and why you did it. I want you to bear my sins and I want God to see me not with my goodness, but with the goodness of Jesus Christ. Then, praise the Lord, we have peace with God. And so many other things in our life, we begin to have peace of mind and we begin to have inner peace. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that purges our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Listen, how many times have I visited uh, someone that had just got done working on their car? You know, when you work on a car, you get, I mean, you, you, you got stuff that even Gojo has a hard time getting it off of your hands. Right, Brother Ralph? And I mean, you work at, I've worked on my car and had, you know, the nasty, smelly stuff is transmission fluid. That is just like, it smells like dead fish. And it just doesn't, I mean, you can't get off your hands. Can you imagine, you know, the preacher coming and visiting you and you've just been working on your transmission. Hey, preacher, how you doing? You wouldn't do that. I've had times where I went to shake somebody's hand and they go, you know, sorry, my hand's dirty. I say, I don't care. Give me a handshake. But typically, if we know that our hands are dirty and somebody wants to shake our hand and their hand is clean, we're self-conscious about it, right? And so we withdraw. But praise the Lord, when we know what the Bible says, that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to go before a perfect, holy, righteous God and go, I'm dirty. But rather, we can come running to Him, and He can embrace us, and we can embrace Him, and we can draw nigh to Him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because in our conscience, we know, and we know what we are naturally, but praise the Lord, when we get born again, God doesn't see us the way that we naturally are. He sees us as His Son is. You talk about peace. You know, so many people are looking for peace on earth. But peace on earth is never going to happen until this earth has peace with God. You know, most of our problems have to do with timing. The Christian life is all about hope. We hope for peace. And peace is going to happen. Peace on this earth. But not when we want it. Jesus said in Luke 12 verse 51, He said, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth? This liberal view of Jesus is so messed up. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, I tell you nay, but rather division. Jesus said that he came to cause division? Absolutely. And he goes on to say, I've come, I've come to, to put a man at variance uh, with his family. And I'm not going to quote it all, but you know, the, 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 the mother with the daughter. And I think in there he talks about the daughter, the mother-in-law or something like that. I, you know, I, I, maybe he wasn't thinking that he didn't have to do anything for that to happen. I'm joking. I love my mother-in-law. He came and some received him and some rejected him. You have division there. In Psalm 30, verse number 5, the Bible says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Do you believe that? You believe that joy is coming in the morning? You know why? Because you have hope. And you know what our problem is? It all comes down to timing. 
we know that whatever problem that we're going through, the weeping may endure for the night. It may endure for the week. It may endure for the month. But praise the Lord, we have a consolation and a hope that joy is coming in the morning. As the songwriter wrote, hang on, my child. So much of the problems in our life is not that we're not believing the right things. It's that we're not willing to wait for them. It all comes down to timing. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, we're going to have tribulation in this life, and we may have tribulation for the rest of our life. But if we're, if Jesus is our Prince of Peace, one of these days He's reigning King, and joy is coming in the morning, brothers and sisters. Be patient. Wait. We may be going through a drought, but rain's coming, praise the Lord. Everything is going to be okay if we're just willing to accept that the timing is in God's hands and He hasn't forgotten about us. Conclusion. You've probably, like me, observed that many adjectives used by men are very insincere. How many times have you witnessed the same person who in one sentence uses God's name in vain, and the very next sentence refers to Him as the good Lord. You know what a lot of that is? It's insincere, and it's just flattery. People referring to Him as the good Lord, because they probably in their heart of hearts know that He's probably not real happy with them. And they're trying to just get some points with him. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand me. Because I appreciate, I appreciate the use of adjectives of respect and titles of respect. I, you know, I, I think that we should always refer to one another with respect. Brother, sister, pastor, mister. Misses, but I have to say that I usually flinch just a little bit when people call me sir. Say, why is that? Well, because frequently, as a pastor, I hear people call me sir that you can tell that they don't usually refer to people in respective type terms. And, 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 and you always realize there's probably maybe an ulterior motive there. Or they're trying to make me think that they respect me when down deep they really don't. Now, if you call me sir, I'm not going to think that of you. You would have to be where I've been at to really understand what I'm saying. But you know, there is a biblical precedence for this. Let me show it to you real quick and we'll be done this morning. Matthew 21 and verse number 28, Jesus is talking about who does the will of his father? But what think ye, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. Now that's pretty disrespectful, right? But at least he's honest. He said, I'm not going, Dad. But afterward, he repented and went. Doesn't say that he came and said anything to his dad. He said, I'm not going to do it, dad. He gets to thinking about it. You know, I, I should do this. My dad wants me to do it. So he just gets out there and rolls up his sleeves and goes to work. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. I think you get what I'm saying here, and went not. It was happy talk. It wasn't sincere. They say unto him, uh, the, he said, whether the twain did the will of 
his father, and they say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. There are a lot of people that know how to use flattering titles and accolades talking about God. Country western singers are notorious for using flattering adjectives of the Lord. But if you look at their lifestyle and what they represent, it's insincere. If you think that you can say something that is positive to the Lord and about the Lord, that you're getting some points with the Lord because of that, God's our Father, but He ain't your daddy. And you can fool people with flattering titles and tell them what they want to hear, but it'll never fly with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ doesn't need your flattering words. I'll tell you what He wants, is He wants your heart. You may be like one of these two sons, and the Lord has spoke to you and said, I want to save you. I want to be your Savior. And you might have said, yes, I'll take it, sir. You might have come to the altar, but you didn't really mean it. You were just trying to check that off of your life's box. Or you could be someone, and one of the many, that said, no, I'm not interested. But the Lord, in His love and mercy, continues to reach out. The same Jesus that is called Wonderful and Counselor and the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace has continued to speak peace to your heart and to draw you to a saving knowledge of Him. And no matter how many times you said, no, I'm not responding, you have an opportunity today to say, yes, I'm going to respond to the will of God and I'm going to be saved. Only then have you done the will of our Heavenly Father. I thank God for these prophetic adjectives about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for His patience with all of us. And if you're not saved here today, don't delay, don't put it off. I've said it many, many times. Hell will be full of people that never said no to God. They just said not yet. And they never got around to accepting Christ as your Savior. Don't be part of that number. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Here in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation and I'm going to ask the pianist to play softly. Give you an opportunity to come down and talk to the Lord based on what He has spoke to your heart here today. Father, thank you for these adjectives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I want to confess to you that you truly are a wonderful Savior. My words are inadequate to describe that, but I hope and I pray that I've said something true today that has spoke to hearts and helped people and been used of you to draw someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The pianist plays, the altar's open. If you'd like to come down here and pray up front and talk to God about what He's talked to you about, then you are invited to do so. No one else is looking. It's just between you and God. If you don't feel inclined to come forward, then you can make an altar right where you're at. Open up your heart to Him.
right, let's all stand our feet. I'm going to ask for the Jagrup to close us in prayer. When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless each and every one of you. Brother Jagrup.